from app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. And welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot. We're talking college hoops in the Garden State. Ryan Ross here, of course, with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman. We are recapping a very successful week for college hoops here in New Jersey and looking forward to some great games we have coming up on the schedule for this coming week. Rutgers with two wins over two quality opponents, one on the road, one at home. They're up to 23rd in the AP poll. They also land a five-star recruit to add to their resume for this week, a successful week for the Scarlet Knights. Seton Hall with two wins. FDU continues to win six in a row for them. Ryder with a big win on the road at Iona as well. Princeton bounces back with a win at Penn. We'll get into all of our mid-majors later in the show, but Chris, here at the top, as we said, we start with the Scarlet Knights. Two wins, one on the road against Northwestern, then they come home to Ohio State. Kind of a little bit of a revenge game for what happened in Columbus about a month ago, and now they're ranked, and they have a big game ahead coming up at Michigan State. Michigan State's 12-6 and on the year, 4-3 and in conference. They're 7-2 and at home. Never an easy place to play, but you have to like what you see out of Rutgers after this past week. Yeah, I mean, no doubt they've been they've been rolling lately. And listen, I mean, that defense is for real. It's legit. Um, it, that's been their calling card. Um, you know, the offense you know, is what it is. We know that. But that defense is, is certainly one of the best in the nation. And, and that continues to be the case. And, you know, certainly I think you, you're seeing different guys step up. I, you know, I mean, obviously Cam Spencer has been playing really well and hitting big shots and I mean, the other day, Milwaukee Mack had the game-winning three. I just like you know, he, he's his development has been, I think, one of the bigger storylines of the season. His continued progress, but you know, certainly, I mean, this team is is obviously playing really well. Uh, I think that they've got a very beatable you know team coming up in Michigan State on the road. It's not going to be easy, but I do think that they can beat the Spartans. And and I think that this thing, um, you know, listen, I mean, they're surging, and and I don't really necessarily see that slowing down anytime soon. I, I don't know, man. Michigan State, you want to miss – I don't know anybody wants to play Michigan State in this spot. Look, Michigan State in the, Breslin, in the Breslin Center with the best the best game coach in college basketball coming off two straight losses, including a heartbreaking one-point loss to Purdue at home. And, you know, Michigan – I think this is the hardest game left on Rutgers' schedule. I really I, do. I, mean, I didn't say they're going to win. I said they are beatable. Yeah, I, I mean, look, anybody's beatable. You win, you go and win at Mackey with your Rutgers. You could win anywhere. You could win a game anywhere. Any game is winnable for Rutgers. They're really good. But I, I, I think this is a really tough spot. Like this is an acid test for Rutgers basketball on Thursday. Uh, Michigan State rebounds the ball really well. Uh, as we mentioned, they're really well coached, and they have this balance. So, like Rutgers specialty is taking one stud guy out of the game. Like they're really good at that defensively. Steve Peichel has a history of doing that. You know, Michigan state doesn't have that. They're much more of a balanced team. Um, And so it's a tough, really tough matchup. Like this is the game that, you know, Rutgers wins this game. There's been some talk about Rutgers in the big 10 title and it's very early for that. Okay. It's, It's a lot. It's two months left of league play. And Rutgers certainly is one of the best teams in the Big Ten. They deserve to break into the top 25 this week. It was time, and they did break in. At 23rd, I had them ranked 22nd, so it was really about right. This is the game. This is the type of game that, like, could you win the league without with a loss this week? Of course. There's a lot of games left. But if Rutgers wins this week, you know, you can really start believing deep in your bones that this team could win a Big Ten title. But I do see this as a very, very difficult spot. Having followed Tom Izzo for years, 
his teams, when they're back, their back's not to the wall, but coming off a couple losses like this, his teams tend to play their best basketball like a cornered animal. It is going to be a very tough one. It's a fascinating game on Thursday in East Lansing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Rutgers, like we said, they they proved themselves this past week. That Northwestern game on the road, that was no easy place to go play against a good team. And then we saw what they were able to do on Sunday against Ohio State. And Chris, I said at the top of the show, just kind of icing on the cake for Scarlet Knights fans, not only do they break into the top 25 this week, but then they land a huge recruit for the program. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it happened, you know, he, he committed right after the game in the locker room uh, to Steve Peichel and Ace Bailey, you know, I mean, he's a five-star recruit. Um, he's just, it, it, it was, and, and Jerry, you can tell me if you, you disagree, but I think that that in some ways is like a turning point for the program when it comes to recruiting, because obviously we talk so much about how Steve Peichel recruited and how he kind of found guys who weren't highly ranked and off the radar and developed them once they got to Piscataway. And that's the way that they had to do it, because at the time, Rutgers was not necessarily a destination that the highly ranked kids and whether or not we, you know, you care about rankings, they weren't necessarily looking at Rutgers. Well, now they are, you know, and I think Ace Bailey's commitment shows that, that p- kids who are highly ranked and who have the stars next to their name are looking and saying, you know what, that's a program that I want to go to. And, and I think that that's a turning point for this program. When you start attracting those kids, you don't have to necessarily rely on the under-recruited kids, whether or not that's the way you want to recruit or not. And I think Steve Peichel, I don't think he's going to change his philosophy, but I think it's a significant uh, turning point that that you know things are starting to change uh, in Piscataway in the way that they can they can recruit. Perception wise, yes, totally agree, Chris. It's huge. It's a big deal because you know Rutgers has not had a five star player. Um, now people say he's the biggest recruit in program history. You know Phil Sellers is the biggest best recruit in program history. They just weren't ranking players back then, right? They didn't have these cottage industries who were, were making money off ranking teenagers, high school kids. Phil Sellers is the biggest recruit Rutgers has ever had. That's 40 years ago. So, yes, in the, in the ranking era, this is the this is the biggest fish Rutgers has landed. I do think from a perception standpoint, it does show a sea change as far as what's viable for Rutgers. I don't think it makes – it really makes – I don't think it signals a departure for Steve Peichel. I just – I think he's really – he's blind when it comes to this stuff. Like he's looking at what these guys can do. You know, in terms of his values, uh, Ace Bailey checks all those boxes. He just happens to be highly rated. And as I think Steve really likes what he can do on the defensive side. So, but perception wise, sure. I mean, you get a five star player, it's a big deal. It's being talked about all over the country. And you get enough of those players who are Steve Peichel's types of players. And you wonder just how, just how high the ceiling could be for this program. So, yes, there's a lot to that. But I, but Steve Peichel's not taking a five-star to take a five-star. As I wrote last week, you know, I've, he's gone into some of these games and he's seen some of these five-star guys and been disgusted by the effort, by what their values are. You know, guys getting one rebound in a game and then posting a dunk of theirs on social media afterwards. You know, that he, he will not recruit a guy like that. So to me, what, what it tells me about Ace Bailey is that he his values are a lot like Steve Peichel's values. And the fact that he's five-stars – while incidental to Peichel, I'm sure, it does signal a change. Now, as far as the current Rutgers team goes, you know, they're getting a lot of these guys. And you mentioned Mawad Mag. Like, he's a tr- fantastic story. When he, he, he was totally unheard of when they recruited. Now, Prolific Prep has produced some players. Mawad Mag's high school. Mag had some injuries, so he flew under the radar in his recruiting year. Uh, but here's a guy who 
no one knew of or cared about when he was recruited, uh, who came to Rutgers and had a small role at first, and then his role got a little bigger last year, and then it got a lot bigger this year. And what a lot of people saw from Mag on on Sunday against Ohio State was him hitting the game-winning shot, him hitting a lot of big shots, and that was different for him, right? Uh, credit to him for making that. Credit to to Rutgers for for setting him up for that shot. Uh, however, to me, what really caught my attention is he defended five positions in that game, five positions, point guard through center. That is so hard to do. So now Rutgers has Mag and Caleb McConnell, two lockdown defenders, and it, it really it makes them extremely difficult to operate an offense against. Absolutely, and it just caps off a great week for Scarlet Knights, especially if you're a Rutgers fan. Two wins, top 25, five-star recruit, really doesn't get much better than that. Now they have a tough road test, as we said, at Michigan State on Thursday, so we'll keep an eye on that game and talk about it in our next episode. And at- Ryan, I want to say, I know I'm always interrupting everybody. I'm kind of rude, a rude podcast Not at all. host with this, but I want to, I want to say that they're in the top 25 this week, and they deserve to be in the top 25. You know, I do this ballot every week, and it's it's difficult. Like, you you know, every fan in the country whose team's playing well thinks they should be in the top 25. And there was some, like, a lot of uh, sort of angst on the part of Rutgers fans, and I think people within Rutgers' program, because believe me, everybody pays attention to this ranking, right? Uh, it's the buzz you get from being in the top 25. There's a lot. There's a lot of intangibles there. So everyone's like was wondering why did it take so long, and the reason was because Rutgers had to bring up two key things like the road, the road uh, neutral record and the quad quad one, quad one and two record. So they did that this week. They got two quad one wins, including a road win at Northwestern. And that was like, that was like a double word score that got them over the top. So I think they're ranked in the right place. Um, You know, but it's, it's fascinating the amount of feedback, like we're finishing up after the game, literally seconds after the buzzer on Sunday and I got fans leaving, yelling at me, and it's good nature, you know, uh, yelling at me. Get Rutgers in the top twenty-five, and more importantly, get Duke out of there. Get what is Duke doing in there? And you know what? I'll give these fans credit; they were right about Duke. Duke should not have been ranked. And sometimes, I think this the sixty-one voters, right? And I think they all, they mo- almost all of them, make a good faith effort at this. But it is true that sometimes the name carries a little extra weight. Not always. I think that's a perception that's overwrought. But in Duke's case, it's hard to argue otherwise. Like, what were they doing in there? And now they're out. And I got to say, whoever those fans were who yelled toward me, I don't want to say at me, who Chris Hardy, you sit next to me, who yeah, yelled right. toward me at the end of that game, you were right about Duke, by the way, and you were right about Rutgers. So, you're like, if you want to send me a mock ballot next week, feel free to email it to me. Look up my email. Email me your ballot next week, and I'll read it, I promise. Thanks, guys. All right, I'm done. They were loud. Not on there from the fans. Yeah. It was like across the section. <laughs> Good stuff there from them. And, and as Jerry said, they nailed it. So we'll keep an eye on that, see if Rutgers is able to climb in the rankings come next week. As for Seton Hall, we talked about it last week. Two road games. Two road games that would have been easy to slip up at. Georgetown and DePaul. It's the bottom of the Big East. But to Seton Hall's credit, they stay focused. They take care of business. They beat both teams on the road. And now they come home with a little momentum when they're going to need it most. They have Wednesday night, number 15, UConn, coming to their building. And then they stay home Saturday, 20th-ranked Marquette. So a tough schedule coming up for Seton Hall. But as I said, Jerry, a little bit of momentum after handling business on the road. 
And I think this is a great week for college basketball in New Jersey because you have you have real buzz now. You're getting to the point of the season where the games really matter, uh, and there's this huge buzz. Like Rutgers at Michigan State is a very high buzz, high buzz game. And Seton Hall has two high buzz games at home this week. This is the first week of Seton Hall season where you could really feel stakes. Like there's stakes now. There's 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 um. There's a real opportunity to move the needle for the Pirates, right? The last 10 days have been about avoiding a tripwire, and they did that. They took care of Butler and Georgetown fairly handily, and then they beat a DePaul team on the road. DePaul's better than their record. They're still not very good, but it's a spot that's given them problems in the past. So they won those three games against bottom Big East teams. They took care of business, and now comes the potential to move the needle. And it starts Wednesday. A fascinating game, UConn at home. Okay, first of all, this is a groundbreaking game in the Big East. A little history being made. It's the first time ever in the league that two former Big East players with the same alma mater are meeting head-to-head as Big East coaches. And that's Dan Hurley and Shaheen Holloway. They didn't play together. Holloway came one year after Hurley left, but sort of inherited, took the torch at point guard from Hurley. And so there's a lot of local ties there. Uh, Two Big East guys and guys whose teams appear at the moment to be heading in opposite directions, right? UConn opens the season 14-0. I thought they were the best team in the country. I'm not the only one. They rose to number two in the AP poll. And then the skid happens. Four losses in five games. And look, it's the Big East. This stuff happens. It happens in the Big Ten, too. This happens in the body of a season. UConn's hit a rough patch. They really have not played well away from home. Here comes Seton Hall on a roll. Here comes Seton Hall with a chance to get into the bubble conversation. Who would have thought that was possible a month ago? But that's the beauty of college basketball. You're only a couple wins away from being in the mix. And now, and by the way, Seton Hall can fans can thank Rutgers for that. The better Rutgers plays, the, the bigger that win at, at Rutgers in Piscataway in December looks. That's a hang-your-hat thing for the Hall right now. But this game, UConn is not a good matchup for Seton Hall, okay? With their size inside, Adama Sinago has been a dominant center. St. Pat's grad, a Patrick School grad, who, who has played really well against Seton Hall in the past. Really well. And then they got Donovan Clean. They got a seven-foot guy who's also pretty good. So big-time guys in the middle for UConn. Seton Hall doesn't have much in the middle. They have Tyree Samuel, who has played his rear end off a natural power forward adjusting to, to manning the post defensively. They don't have much reinforcement for him. A lot depends on the whistle in this game, okay? If Samuel gets in foul trouble, it's big trouble for Seton Hall. But the the sometimes you just there's, – there's peaks and valleys. Like this, the roller coaster is rolling Seton Hall's way right now. The buildings – the lower bowl is going to be sold out. Yes, there will be UConn fans there. I expect Seton Hall fans to bring it, and I do think – that Seton Hall is better than a puncher's chance to win this game. If you asked me two weeks ago, I would have said no. But I think now the way things are trending, Seton Hall is better than a puncher's chance. Kadari Richmond scored 17 straight points against UConn last year at home as Seton Hall beat the Huskies. If he can, He's not going to do that again. If he can have that kind of game, Seton Hall is very much of a chance to win this. You know, we've talked about uh, Shaheen Holloway in big games all season and now we've got big games in Shaheen Holloway and I think it's an incredibly interesting coaching matchup with Dan Hurley in this game you know Jerry you you brought up the Seton Hall connections but really you know Danny Hurley has 
established himself as really one of the most respected coaches in college basketball, you know, and now Shaheen Holloway first season at Seton Hall. I think it's fascinating. And I think it's going to be a great matchup right now. And you said, Danny, it's funny. It's funny. You said, Steve, he's Dan to the rest of the college basketball world. He's Danny at Seton Hall. And there will be people yelling Danny out of this stands. I can guarantee you at him Wednesday night. Uh, Shaheen Holloway, look, He's a good game coach, right? And if you didn't notice that last year in the NCAA tournament, you notice it now. He's made one adjustment in each of the last three games and their winning streak that has altered the trajectory of the game. I would say each of the last four games, including the St. John's win they had, the last four Big East wins, he's made one big adjustment each time. The guy's a good game coach, man. He, And as you said, he's really good in these big games. At Rutgers, um, the game against St. John's that they had to win, this is the next – test for them. And Hurley's a good game coach too. They're both very good coaches, but you know, as Hurley is going absolutely berserk on the sideline with people riding him from the stands and who knows what with the officials going on. Okay. Can Shaheen Holloway sort of, can he figure out a way to get his team to stay composed against a UConn team that is feeling an enormous amount of pressure, right? Enormous. Cause that fan base doesn't tolerate, you know, three or four game losing streaks. So I think Seton Hall is UConn in a – they have UConn in a psychological vice here. And if they can squeeze that early and fuel some doubt into the Huskies, those first few minutes can make a big difference. Seton Hall sitting at 11-8 and eight overall, 4-4 four and four in the conference. And like you said, Jerry, you have this tough emotional game with UConn coming up where a team has uh, – you know, they're trying to halt kind of a skid, as you said. And then you turn around, you have 20th-ranked Marquette on your home floor on Saturday. So – I mean, from a Seton Hall Pirates fan perspective, are you thinking split? I mean, there's certainly the opportunity to win both, but you have to be happy with a split. Let me, yes. And I I promised on last week's podcast that I would address Seton Hall's NCAA tournament picture if they won, if they took care of business last week and won both of those road games, and they did. So let's talk about it, okay? Seton Hall's net uh, is in the 60s. It's a viable net. You're not that far outside. Looking at bracketology, which I'm finally starting to do, uh, they are about 15, 16 out from the last team in. Okay? So that's doable. You can make up that ground at this point in the season. They have a couple. They have the road neutral wins. They have a couple of quad ones, two, and two more chances this week. If Seton Hall gets a split this week, the goal should be a split. And – Marquette is red. It's pretty hot. They just lost a really good game at Xavier. If if they can get it, and Marquette has had has played well against Seton Hall, but if Seton Hall can get a split this week, if they can come away with a split, they will definitely have a pulse for an NCAA tournament berth. If they sweep both games at home, they will be on the bubble next Monday. It can happen that quickly in college basketball, and that's what makes this sport a lot of fun. Absolutely. Opportunity lying right ahead there for Seton Hall, those two ranked opponents coming up. And oh, by the way, an opportunity for Seton Hall, the entire university to really stick it to UConn. The Seton Hall women's team tonight plays UConn at home. Seton Hall women, they're 13 and five overall, six and two in the conference, third place in the Big East. UConn, of course, they're UConn, eight and in conference, 15 and two overall. They're ranked fifth in the country, but they have them on their home floor, so we'll see if uh, Seton Hall can go 2-0 against UConn this week. And that would be something else, right? But I will say, like, the goal for the Seton Hall women, I mean, listen, beating UConn is an enormous thing, right? But when UConn's in the Big East, the assumption is they're going to win the Big East. Mm-hmm. The goal for the Seton Hall women is just to keep moving the chains. 
And you got to, you know, the Big East in, in women's basketball, the bottom of that league has hurt that league's rating historically over the past few years. Uh, it's not like the men's league where, you know, they've, they've done pretty well out of conference. So, like, Seton Hall women have to just keep – they have to keep moving the chains, winning the games they should win, and they'll make the NCAA tournament, which will be a really nice accomplishment. Beating UConn, obviously, would be a huge story. There's two more – one more thing I want to say about Seton Hall. I want to highlight the play of two guys, uh, Casey Nadefo and Femi Odakali. The guys that, that, that Shaheen Holloway brought in off the transfer portal. We know Casey from St. Peter's. Femi is a New York City guy who came from Pittsburgh. Two guys who – they play the way Seton Hall wants to play. They turn games into a street fight. They talk a big game on the court, and they get in guys' faces. And I think they really sort of wear down and intimidate their opponents. And, like, that's the attitude that the team is now starting to adopt. The other guys, the Willard holdovers, the new guys, are starting to adopt the, the tone that Femi and KC set on the court. So I feel like that's a big part of – the sea change for Seton Hall is that attitude. Like a coach can only do so much. Those guys, those two guys are instilling that attitude with the rest of this team. Absolutely, Jerry. Something to keep an eye on too. They'll need it this week with those two ranked opponents. So we'll of course recap those games in our next episode. We'll keep an eye on that. And as for our mid-majors, a lot to talk about here, Steve. Uh, I think we have to start with the, the new torchbearer, I guess you could say, for New Jersey mid-majors, FDU, they've won six in a row. They're 12-8 and eight overall. Most importantly, they're 5-0 and oh in conference, wins over Central Connecticut and Stonehill this past week. They have, coming up on Friday, Sacred Heart, and then Sunday they see Stonehill again. Princeton, they go 1-1 one one this past week. They're still doing, uh, doing pretty well in the Ivy League, tied for first place there. Uh, some negatives with Mammoth, of course, but let's start with Fairleigh Dickinson. Well, Fairleigh Dickinson is looming as one of the really nice college basketball stories in the country. You know, a Division II coach comes in, Tobin Anderson, brings some of his top players with him. All of a sudden, they're really the team to beat in the Northeast Conference right now after, you know, really having a tough year last year. And, you know, I think, you know, Dimitri Roberts is looking at player of the year, really. He's the leading candidate in the Northeast Conference right now. Uh, they're really playing well. And, and it, you know, it's a great story. You know what yeah. FDU does well? They shoot free throws. They get to the line, and they make free throws. Look at these numbers here. Uh, Grant Singleton is shooting 92% from the free throw line. He's missed three free throws this season. Ansley Almanor, uh, St. Joe's Montvale guy, shooting 89% from the free throw line. Dimitri Roberts, who you mentioned, he's been a scoring machine, Steve. Uh, he's shooting 78% from the free throw line. I mean, th that's three guys on the floor at the that are going to make the shots at the end of a game. Team shooting 75%. They're aggressive to the hole. They're getting to the line a lot. And those points add up, man. And it's fascinating. And, you know, the Northeast Conference, they play their tournament on the home floor. So, like, there's a lot to, that does mean – and, Steve, we could talk – let's talk about this for a second because you've covered the MAC extensively, yep. right? It's a big, hot topic. It means something. to The regular season means more when yes. the prize for winning your league is hosting the conference tournament games, right? Absolutely. And that is the mid-major debate. You know, and I, I've talked to Rich Enser and some other people about that at the MAC, you know, and they feel like, you know, you're more big time if you're hosting it in an arena at one site. And, you know, let's face it, those arenas they hosted in, they're, they're pretty empty. And, you know, as good a job as you do with those tournaments and the MAC does a nice job, you know, it's still you don't have the atmosphere you get at a home court, you know, tournament. And as you said, Jerry, 
that just makes every game during the regular season that much more important, you know? So right. now, now, now that could backfire. Like, like we saw at the Northeast conference last year, it was a disgrace what happened at Bryant, right? When the fans yeah. were so out of control that Mammoth had to go in the locker room for not Mammoth, uh, Wagner had to go in the locker room for fear of their safety that, but Bryant's added a league, which I'm sure everyone's happy about now, but, uh, but that's, they could, but for the most part, I'm with you, Steve. It's it, there's a lot more atmosphere, but just a lot more reward for winning your league, and that's why, like when they if if they continue on this pace after you, you know they got a game against St. Francis of Pennsylvania next week with first place on the line. St. Francis has one loss in the league after you's unbeaten. We're, we're going a week down the line now, and we'll talk about this more next week. But they got a game where you know if they win that game, they will have the they will have the inside track right at winning the conference the conference regular season which right. is enormous. And it would be for a team that won a, games, a number of games you could count on one hand last year, okay, to be winning their league or on pace to win their league is an extraordinary achievement. And I think one of the lessons learned with what FDU is doing so far is there's really – I mean, we think of D2, D3, and people say, oh, D2, D3. There's good basketball being played on those levels, Steve. This is an example of that. It sure is. And and really, you know, they are the standard bearer right now in terms of being a really nice story in New Jersey mid-majors, but there's so much going on. I mean, Princeton got a big win, you know, a bounce back win. They lose on a jumper with three seconds left at Brown. And let's face it, you go on the road in the Ivy League, I don't care who you're playing. It's going to be a tough game. Um, and But they come back and they beat Penn by double digits. You know, a nice win. They're 14 and five. They're still in good shape in the league. Uh, so I think Princeton, again, looming as a good story, you know, Ryder, a big win over Iona. Uh, I think the Mac is up for grabs. You know, I, I think three teams have kind of separated themselves, Ryder, Iona, Siena, uh, and Ryder has shown, you know, they, they were the ones who knocked Iona out of the Mac tournament last year. You know, now they've beat them again. I think they have the athleticism to hang with them. Um, I think Ryder could end up being a very good story in New Jersey story. Let, let me address each of those things, Princeton first. And I want to say, again, talking about like conference philosophy, right? You know, a couple of years ago, a few years back, Princeton losing at Brown would have really hurt because – you know, you got to win the Ivy League to go to the NCAA tournament. You got to win the regular season. And that was a game where if someone like a Yale is hot on your tail, that's one you gave away at Brown at the, in the closing seconds. That could come back to bite you. Now, not really. Princeton's just got to finish in the top four, which they're going to do, right? And then they host the tournament on their floor in Jadwin in March, the two-day, two-day, four-team tournament. So total, it changes everything, them adding a conference tournament. And I know like Princeton maybe was, a, you know, a lot of people, old school people were a little ambivalent about that at first. But now you see the benefits of that, that that loss to Brown is really not that big of a deal. And Princeton is, I mean, they are on pace to be the favorite when that thing comes to Mercer County in a couple months. Uh, you mentioned Ryder and the Mac. And you know the Mac as well as anybody, Steve. Uh, I think people just outside of our little area just assume Iona is going to be representing them. In, in the big dance. I don't know about that, man. Look at Ryder. They they beat – they knocked off Iona in a, in a MAC tournament on a neutral floor last year. They went up to New Rochelle and won. Dwight Murray has torched them. And, you know, Siena's really good too. I, I don't I, – would, would you put – would you bet your house on Iona winning the MAC tournament? I would not. No. I think, I think after what you saw last year – 
You know, Iona was the best team all year. But here's the thing, and this is what I think people don't understand. You know, the, the MAC tournament, the, the MAC in general, it's a very physical, guard driven league. You know, you are going to face really good guards and really good competition at that at that point every game. And that wears you down. And last year, my overwhelming takeaway from Iona down in Atlantic City at the MAC tournament was when it got really tough right at the end, they just couldn't hang. You know, it's a long season. And I think that's what you saw. And and we'll see who, who is going to be the last team standing. But the MAC is a grind for anyone who hasn't seen it before. Speaking of long season, Steve, long season yeah. at West Long Ridge. It's it, yeah. So so now we're at one and seventeen. Um, and honestly, Monmouth had some intriguing games this week. I mean, listen, how often does a mid-major team have a nationally ranked team come to your place? Right. I mean, for, it doesn't happen ever. So on on Thursday night, Monmouth hosts Charleston, number eighteen. 18 and one right now against the one in 17 Monmouth. So honestly, if Monmouth were to win that game, I mean, it had to be one of the biggest upsets ever in college basketball or anything. I mean, it, it Monmouth's, Monmouth's net is 358. Uh, Charleston is 42. All right. So you're not going to win that game, but interesting that they're coming there. However, on Saturday, right, Monmouth 358 hosts. Net 354 Hampton with two Division I wins. Monmouth has one Division I win. Now, on your home court, I mean, let's face it, this is the measuring stick, right? If you can't win this game, where else are you going to win? You're looking at 1-31 and 31 if you can't win on Saturday. So, again, terrible season for Monmouth, you know, but – Hey, a couple of intriguing games this week for the Hawks. Yeah, got to give Mammoth credit. There's two games that are worth watching this week for them. For a 1 and 17 team, I mean, to to see what they're able to do, maybe they're able to pull off a miracle against Charleston, and then like you said, they they have a team that's kind of on the same level as them. If they can get maybe one win there, that might be it for the rest of the season. So you got to take advantage when you can, but two interesting games for a 1 and 17 team. Credit to Mammoth. That's amazing. And here's the bottom line. It's January 17th. And there's eight Division One basketball, men's Division One basketball teams in New Jersey. Five of them are in the mix for the NCAA, NCAA tournament picture. Seton Hall, you know, I got some work to do, but there's buzz going on around five of them right now. And that's if you're us and you know you're doing a Jersey jump shot podcast, that's a pretty good thing. That gives us plenty to talk about. Of course, it's it's been a fun week here in New Jersey for college hoops, and as we said, a fun week ahead. Rutgers at Michigan State, Seton Hall, UConn, and Marquette. Princeton home against Dartmouth on Saturday. FDU Sacred Heart Friday, Stonehill Sunday, Ryder Niagara Friday, and Manhattan on Sunday. So we'll keep an eye on all those games and all the storylines that might come out from this upcoming week of college hoops. Again, thank you for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. Of course, read what Jerry, Chris, and Steve are writing for NorthJersey.com, APP.com, MyCentralJersey.com. Tell your friends if you like the podcast and subscribe for new episodes. And we'll be back next week to recap all of what we talked about today. It should be another fun week of college hoops. We can't wait to see what happens. Thank you so much for listening to Two Jersey Jump Shot. For Jerry, Chris, and Steve, I'm Ryan. We'll talk to you next time. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.